Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Mike Griffin. Uh, I'm involved with Religious Ed down here, so I'm just going to do a quick intro to our night. This is uh, like our third or fourth God's Not Dead, and tonight's topic is on heaven and hell. As a, a high school teacher and working with kids, it's always a really difficult topic to talk about and for, I think, not just kids, but for adults to kind of grasp and also for us to kind of understand. So we want to just uh, start with a quick prayer uh, before we get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we ask you to enter this space now as we talk about heaven and hell. We ask you to open our hearts to your teachings and the church's teachings so that we can not only understand with our minds, but we can experience you truly in your spirit. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, what's the best wedding you've ever been to? Think the best wedding. Yeah, the best wedding you've ever been to. Uh, you know, biased, I would say my wedding was the best, but totally biased. Um, I was doing some research on heaven and hell, and we're going to share with you at the end a, a document where you can watch some videos from a priest named Father Mike Schmitz. And he talks about that heaven is like a wedding reception. So if you think about like the best wedding you've ever been to, the most fun wedding or whatever made it so special, that's what, that's what heaven is like forever. Uh, great food, maybe a few drinks or a few too many drinks, however you like to party. And it's, it's, it's forever. And he says, everyone's invited to the, to the wedding. Everyone's invited to heaven. And some people are going to have a really busy schedule and they're going to reorient their schedule to make it to the wedding. Some are going to forget to RSVP. Some are going to RSVP and then forget the date because they get really busy. And basically his point is that heaven is, has been won for all of us through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when we look at what the church teaches, heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme and definitive happiness. So what is hell, which is a little bit more difficult to grasp? And questions that might come up is like, how, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? And the church teaches that hell is your freely chosen identity based on something else besides God going on forever. Hell is your freely chosen identity. It's like picking the sports game over the wedding reception or your friend over the wedding reception. That the church teaches even if you are making something that is good, your ultimate, that leads us to sin and strays us from God. So tonight we're going to hear from Father Brian and, and Deacon Mike on some teachings about heaven and hell and to help us understand a little bit more about what heaven and hell is. Before I hand it over to Father Brian, Jesus mentions hell more than anyone else in the scriptures. He mentions hell 70 times. 
throughout the Gospels. And if we're here and we believe in Jesus and his resurrection, that he is truly God, we also have to take him at his word. And he says in Matthew 7 that narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and wide is the road that leads to destruction. That it can't just be in our culture today, it's kind of like, oh, all good people go to heaven. I mean, I don't like kick dogs on the street and I don't, uh, I'm not like Hitler. I I didn't kill anyone, so I'll go to heaven. And that's not what Jesus says. That to accept the wedding invitation means to reorient our lives towards Christ. So let's hear a little bit more about heaven and hell. Evening, everybody. Again, thanks for, thanks for coming out. Nice, great, nice turnout. So thank you for that. I was, uh, I don't know, I guess a couple of months ago, uh, middle of, kind of in the middle of COVID uh, craziness, uh, I read this article and it was saying that, uh, it gave a couple of uh, COVID effects on things in, in a society, like how COVID has uh, impacted certain things. I'm, I'm speaking very broadly here, but this very specifically in this article, it talked about since COVID, people being locked down, quarantined, things being closed, uh, families being together a whole lot more than, than normal. Uh, it, it mentioned that uh, games, the sale of games, like board games, had like grown almost exponentially in the last year. Monopoly, you know, they, they did a comparison between like Monopoly sales in the last year versus, you know, in the last couple of decades. And it was just through the roof. Um, people just kind of having to be together and f- finding creative and fun ways of of being together. So anyway, that was what, and, uh, and computer, video games, and so on. Uh, and it got me thinking about some of the board games that, uh, you know, that I used to play. Don't, don't really play them so much anymore. Uh, any of you remember the game uh, Risk? You do? Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if it, um, it's an interesting game. Uh, and again, I, I haven't played it in probably 35 years. Um, but it was about uh, kind of the, if, if I remember very basically anyway, it was, it was a board game and it had to do with, uh, it, it was, you had the map of the world on the board and these different territories. Uh, and uh, you were basically like a world leader and you were, you were trying to take over the world uh, with these armies. And it was roll, a big part of it was rolling dice and you would attack another country or you'd attack these territories. And ultimately it was to, to take over the world, pretty much what was the, the point of it. Um, it was interesting because you'd kind of like make these alliances. If somebody was winning, like really winning and taking over a lot, then you know, two or three people, other people playing the game would kind of connect themselves together and they would collectively go after the guy who was taking over, uh, taking over the world. So it was interesting, you could kind of get, almost kind of get personal. You'd start getting angry because like two people were going up against you now. It was a pretty wild game and it would go on. I remember this, it would go on for hours. Like it was just, it would, 
hours, like to the point where like you wouldn't finish it and you had to go home, so you'd have to find a spot to leave the game protected so that you were gonna come revisit it uh, again. Um, in fact, there's an episode of Seinfeld uh, where uh, Newman and uh, Kramer are playing Risk, and that's exactly what happens. They've run out of time. The game is certainly not done with the game. Uh, so Jerry, the name it, Risk. I think the, the title that winning was a, of the of the game. It said Risk. Uh, a game of world domination, I think is what, the na- what you saw in the box and Jerry Seinfeld said, talking about these two idiots, uh, Newman Kramer, he goes, uh, a game of world domination played by two guys who can't barely run their own lives. Uh, anyway, it, that's not even really relevant to tonight, but it just, I, I remember seeing, I was thinking about that episode too, because like, that was kind of us. We were, as a kid, for a period of year, uh, a couple of years, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, High school, I guess. Uh, we were crazy about this game, uh, my friends and I. Uh, and it probably, I'm thinking we probably played it more in the winter when you were stuck inside. And, uh, and we'd just go through these spurts. We would play it endlessly. And then you kind of get tired of it and you wouldn't pick it up for a year and then you'd revisit it again. Um, anyway, that was that. I went to college and I found out at a certain point that a couple of my college friends played Risk as kids. They, they loved it as much as I did. So we were like, all right, we were totally, we're going to play Risk. Um, and we, we set it up one night uh, in our dorm and we started to play. And there was this confusion. Um, maybe there were five of us playing. And I was not understanding their rules. Uh, I, something was off. I was like, no, why are you doing that? And you don't, you don't do that. And they were all looking at me like, Yes, you do. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is, this is how you play. This is, this is whatever the, the rules were. And I remember we got a kind of like this little, almost like a little bit of an argument. And then finally the directions came out. And they started pointing out to me the rules. And they were right. And I was way off. Like, I was just, and I know, I knew, like, I wasn't, not remembering this correctly. That, my rules were the rules that we played, but they just weren't the rules of the game. Like somewhere along the way, we changed the rules. I don't remember why. I don't, you know, I don't know if our rules, our, you know, rules were better. It's just so long ago, I don't remember any of it, but I remember being like, how did that happen? Like, how did we, this thing sort of evolved, um, and it came, became sort of something else, the game. And I mention that to you for this reason. I think, uh, I wanna talk a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kinda focus on hell um, for the next couple of minutes. Hopefully it doesn't feel like hell for all of you. Um, but I, I think in some respects, we've changed the rules. We've kind of re, like, we redefined the game as kids. And I think in some aspects, like, we've done something similar with our notion of, our concept of, our belief in hell. And Mike, you, you, you referenced it a little bit there in the beginning, how it is not uncommon to hear people of faith say thing, Christians, Catholics, who will say, well, I don't, 
I don't really, I don't think they'll say they don't believe in hell. They believe in hell, but their understanding, like what they believe about hell is like, where'd you get that? Like, did you change the rules? Some, like, who, did somebody tell you? Like, that's not what we believe. Um, and I think part of it would be, you know, the last 50, Second Vatican Council, the 1960s, you know, our notion, our understanding of God changed in a lot of ways. Or we, we started emphasizing something that we previously never talked about. You know, we kind of lived, I'm told, I mean, I was too young to remember this, but, you know, if you're old enough to remember the church before the 1960s, our understanding of God was pretty kind of fear-based. We were kind of often afraid of God. Fear of God, fear of punishment, sort of what directed our lives in a lot of ways. And you can measure it, Saturday afternoon confessions, the sacrament of confession. People used to go to it all the time. And we don't today in, in sort of troubling ways. People don't use the sacrament nearly the way they did. But what the church believed was, you know what? We shouldn't be living constantly in fear of God and his wrath and punishment and maybe even damnation. Because there's a, that is a part of God, judgment, but so is love. And we didn't talk enough about that. And I think we've all, we've all heard that. And that's like, that's not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So for a lot of years, like the last 50, we've really focused much on God's love, God's mercy, God as love. And I guess maybe in the course of that, that shifted our understanding of hell, like what hell is like. I think most would say, no, I, I, there is a hell. I mean, well, you know, look, look as far as scripture. Look as, go to Jesus. And he's the ultimate source. And like you said, Mike, he does speak of it. He speaks of it a lot. I, I read the same thing, that he speaks more about hell than anybody in the, in the Bible. Jesus does. Let me just think of some of, the, some, of, some of the ways in which he spoke of hell. The parable of uh, Lazarus and the rich guy. Lazarus, Lazarus is this essentially homeless beggar. This rich guy just ignores him, steps over him, never notices the, his need, his needs. They both die. Lazarus lived, had this horrible existence during life. The rich guy had it the best, and now it's been flipped. Now the rich guy's seemingly in hell, and Lazarus is very certainly in heaven. And Lazarus is in a panic. I mean, the rich guy is in a panic, scared to death. This is what it says. This is what Jesus says. Well, no, it's Jesus is saying it, but it's... Lazarus is now with Abraham at a feast. And Abraham says this, there's a deep pit, a deep chasm lying between us so that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot, they can't do so. Nor can anyone cross over to us from where you are. It's Jesus's description of, of hell. 
this chasm, this distance between two groups, and you can't cross from one to the other. You know, in Matthew's gospel, he talks about the sheep and the goats. There'll be this absolute separation. Some will be placed here, some will be placed there. Those who had a Christian heart and a Christian spirit, they'll be rewarded. And those who didn't, those who were like the rich guy who ignored the poor guy, they're the goats. Like he speaks pretty clearly of hell. So, you know, if you encounter somebody who kind of gives you their, their take on the reality of hell or, or the non-reality of it, and again, you know, this idea that because God is so loving, God is all love, he would never send somebody to hell. So, like, I, maybe there is a hell, but I don't think it's very crowded because God is just all love. So even at the, at the, end, of the, at the end of the day, he's going to ultimately forgive us. That's not what Jesus said, at least in these examples I've given, and there's a bunch more. He doesn't only reference hell, he describes it, kind of in detail. It's a place of torment, unquenchable fire. It's a place where people will gnash their teeth in anguish, and there is no return, even to to warn those that we love. He describes it as an, a place of outer darkness, Gehenna. We've heard that, you hear that reference. That was, a, that was a garbage dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem where these like horrendous child sacrifices, pagan sacrifices were performed. It was just an evil, dark, horrible place. And Jesus compares hell to Gehenna or Gehenna to hell. And I think this becomes a little bit of the problem. There's so, so kind of like, no question, Jesus and hell. Like, yeah, no question. He believed in it, he spoke of it, it's real. But the specifics with which he speaks, I think that sometimes becomes problematic because I think we can get caught up in specifics that we really don't have. And we gotta remember, Jesus spoke very symbolically, very often in parables, through parables. So he often used very poetic, symbolic language. And I don't think we should get hung up on that or caught up on that. But we now, you know, it's a, maybe, this, maybe, maybe just to speak for a moment about this, what the church says, hell isn't. Like it's not a place. It's not a place. But if you look at religious art over the centuries, artists, drape, they paint pictures of what hell looks like. And even Jesus does with his words. I don't think we should get caught up, says the church, in seeing it as an actual place. Actually, instead, see it as like a condition. It's just like a, it's like a state of being. Well, what's the condition? What is, what is the condition like? Well, I think one word that is often used is alienation. It's just separation. Separation from all that's good and true and hopeful, from all that's loving. That's what hell is when we, when we are separated. 
I remember one of my nephews when he was a little kid, when he was being a, a brat, he would, uh, you know, the timeout chair, be sent to timeout, and he used to go crazy. He hated being, I know who, what kid likes it, but he was like particularly crazed about it. He couldn't stand being separated. We might be just like right around the corner in the next room, but he had to be like set apart. He couldn't take it. I mean, is hell sort of like, a, like, a, like an eternal timeout? But here's the difference, and I think this is another important thing, concept or way of seeing what hell is or, or what, it, what, it, what it's about, and it's this. Like my sister-in-law would send my nephew to timeout, timeout chair, whatever you call it. He was sent there because of what he had done. God doesn't send us to hell. And I think that's important. I mean, that's key. We choose it. If there are people in hell, they chose to be in hell. They're not sent there by God. I remember when I worked at St. Anthony's High School, I was friendly with one of the deans of discipline. You know, and he was the guy who had to, well, discipline kids. Sometimes in serious ways, like suspensions and detentions, maybe even more dismissal. And he used to talk, he would talk to me at times about, you know, when he just came out of a conversation with a parent who was fighting for their kid. He was like, how could you be doing this to us? And he'd be like, I didn't do this. He did it. Your son did it. Your daughter did it. They sent themselves to detention. They chose it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not punishing them. They have chosen their, their reality. And I think that's the way we should see it with God. You know, and I think here's one other maybe final point, and it would be this. You can believe strongly in something, I think, and not know a lot about it. Usually things that we, you, you're passionate about, that you really believe in, you usually know a lot about whatever, whether it's a person or something. You know the details. You know the details of, of that, that person's life or that cause or whatever it is you're passionate about. You believe intensely in it. It's very real to you. And you could probably stand up and talk a lot about it, or sit down and write a lot about it. I think with faith, that common reality isn't often there. We can believe very strongly, very powerfully in something, but not know a lot about it. You know, when I was a kid playing that game, when I was 15, and if you asked me to talk about, you know, the New York Mets, I could go on, I could tell you every stat imaginable. I beloved the Mets, and I knew so, I, it was so clear to me who they were. I had the facts. It's not quite that way with God, I don't think. And specifically tonight, like this, this understanding belief in hell, like we believe in it because he talked about it. But don't go drawing a picture of it. Don't go write a poem about it. Or you can write the poem, or you can paint the picture, 
But that's just, that's art. Like I don't think we should get hung up in the specifics. I believe in this. But I don't know, I don't know too much about it. So people choose hell? Like what kind of person would choose hell? <laughs> like who would ever say I'm gonna, I wanna, I am choosing eternal damnation? I don't know. That's why like, you know, you know the catechism is 700 pages long. You know how much it says about hell? Five paragraphs. Five paragraphs in, among 700 pages only we talk about in the catechism. The rule book, we talk about hell. Maybe, what's the point? We don't know too much. We believe, but we don't know so much. We know what it's not. So maybe it's a certainty with humility. I'm certain of this, we are certain of this. But we're humble with it and about it. Thanks. There you go. So those of you who don't know me, I'm Deacon Mike. I'm a deacon from here and from the, the entire community. Having a topic for the existence of heaven and hell, Mike and Father Brian just spelt, spoke so eloquently. I'm actually gonna focus a little bit on heaven but not leave out the reality of hell. But I take it on in the context of my own personal journey and how is it to come to believe and to learn about anything? How do we begin to understand much of what we experience and know and believe in this world through the way that we're, we're taught? So in the context of teaching and learning, I think about learning by the books. I think that there was some of what Mike was referencing and Father Brian was talking about. Learning about through various books, and we can begin with the Bible and the Gospel, about the existence of heaven and hell. We can begin to have an appreciation for their reality in the context of what it is that has, was said or has been written. Father Brian and, and Mike both noted that it is, I've read the same articles and done the same research, that Christ is the, the, the person who speaks most about hell than anybody else. However, I've also read and researched that Christ spoke about three times more about heaven than he did about hell. So if he spoke 70 times about hell, he spoke over 200 times about heaven. But I'm sure that that's just many of us in learning, you just don't read one book. There's lots of other books you can read. There's lots of other perspectives. There's also lessons offered by St. John Paul II on the reality 
of heaven and hell. And as Father Brian just mentioned, he talks about it as just that, as a hell, as a state of being where we're not sent by God, where we choose to go. St. Thomas Aquinas also speaks about heaven and hell. He actually has a lesson in one of his writings, which is fairly profound when I was reading it yet again recently. Thomas Aquinas says that God does not stop loving those in hell. They've just stopped loving him. St. Augustine, he says that the price of heaven is yourself. You give yourself, that's all you need. It's also the value of heaven. It's because God's love is for you. There are other books and articles and writings, philosophers, theologians. Some believe and some don't. In our learnings and appreciations of the existence of heaven and hell, I also reference life's experiences. Have we seen heaven or hell? Have we experienced them ourselves? In one very simple way, I think of the understanding of heaven and hell as an appreciation for a simple reality. Our actions can have eternal consequences. Do we not learn that every single day? The little things that we do can mean a lot. Sometimes it's momentary. Sometimes it's lasting a duration of a lifetime. Other times, it echoes into eternity. So does it become foreign to us then to suggest that something exists into eternity? I think of life's lessons, the lessons that people have taught me about the existence of heaven and hell, beyond just the books, beyond just the lessons re read, or the understanding and appreciation of something much bigger than myself. When my father was dying, he was moved into hospice care at home. My sister came to see him and she asked him if he, she wanted, if he wanted to see a priest. My father said, sure, I'll see a priest. What would you like me to talk to him about? My sister said, you're an incredibly faith-filled man. You've gone to mass every Sunday. At least, you'd, you go on daily, you receive all your sacraments, you've raised your children in the faith. 
You've passed it on? My father said, I've met with the priest. I had my anointing. If you'd like me to see a priest, I will. But I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. My sister smiled. She said, I know. I hope to see you there. That faith in something bigger than us, something eternal, the idea of not reconnecting with that love between a father and his children, a mother and her children, brothers and sisters and family and friends. It's a life's lesson of witnessing the belief in what the books taught. As a father, I also recall the moment that both my children were born. My older one, I was still in law school when my wife and I were uh, married and then when she got pregnant. I had just graduated law school. I was studying for the bar exam. And I remember so, uh, so clearly, we used to go visit the doctor and I was studying for my final exams and my bar exam. I'm the, the, the graduate who's recalled now as the one whose wife was really pregnant at graduation. And I recall going to the doctor and I was studying and I had this habit as a, maybe it was a good luck charm, I would wear this hat. It was an Irish walking hat, a tam-o-shanter that I had. And I would wear it all the time and I, during my studies and I remember going visiting a doctor, and after a while, she used to make fun of me. She's like, you gonna change that hat yet? And I said, maybe when I take the bar exam, I pass that bar exam, that's when I'll, I'll take off the hat. So I took the bar exam, and our oldest was born three weeks later. So I was there, not taking the exam. And wouldn't you know it, I was still wearing the hat. And the doctor, she, she laughed when she first saw me. Well, then my son was born. And what happened next was something I'll never forget. I received this instant thrusting of love that I've never felt before. I literally flew back in the room where the doctor thought she was gonna to have to catch me. And I recall so vividly having my life changed in an instant, filled with unconditional, unexplainable love for another human being. 
This love is a love so real that it resonates with the lessons of heaven. That when you read the books and you see the experiences. When my second son was born, I recall being in the room, having a similar feeling of this powerful overcoming of myself of love, leaving the room to go out to the, the waiting room to tell everybody the baby had been born. And the nurse who was at the reception station stops me. And she says, hi, dad. I guess understanding the look on my face. She says, you might want to change the gown. And I, I said, why? Well, what I hadn't realized was I had ripped the sleeves on both sides and in my back on just this gown, shirt gown they had given me from the rush of pride and adrenaline, changing myself physically in that moment. These lessons of life encapsulate the lessons of the eternity of the existence of heaven through God's love. They teach us how what we read in the books are real. Somebody once said to me that hell is unthinkable because God is so lovable. I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to think of God in that way. But as we've already begun to discuss, God's love for us isn't the state of hell or doesn't disprove the existence of hell. It's our cho choosing to walk away from that love. As we begin and continue our discussion and dialogue and lessons, I have one last anecdote and story to offer that for me, draws me closer to an understanding of the existence of heaven and hell. And it's a similar lesson that I offered earlier that my father taught me when he was dying. One of my brother deacons had a son who was 12 years old who died. It was before he had entered the seminary or the diaconate and he was a police officer, my brother deacon. And after his son had died, he began to reflect on his life and his life's journey, where he had gone, the decisions he had made, the choices he had made. And the one thing that he walked away with was he wanted to see his son again.
And if his son was in heaven, then he would do everything to be there. He was ordained less than six years later. And now, nearly 30 years later, continues on his journey. We believe in something bigger than we are. We choose our faith and the opportunity for him to love us. The existence of hell doesn't stop the potential for that love, but that love can overcome anything, including hell. So the second portion of our night is a question and answer uh, where you get to pose questions for Deacon Mike and Father Brian to take um, about heaven and hell. So we're going to put uh, a number up on the screen. We've been doing the cards, but we just want to lessen the amount of um, exposure and just social distancing and that kind of stuff. So. If you have a question about heaven, hell, our faith, this is why this night's a little bit different. Rather than just, um, just hearing from a speaker, we wanna see what questions you have. So we wanna give you about two minutes or so to take out your phones and text a message, text a question to the number up on the TV. If uh, you don't have a phone with you and you'd like to uh, write a question in, we have index cards up front on the front pew. So please just take two minutes before we resume to uh, send a question. Give us a tough one. Give, uh, I'm not answering, so give Father Brian, give Deacon Mike some tough ones. Uh, don't hold back um, and ask some good questions. Take two minutes, please. It's here. Just waiting for one, one or two more coming in. So the first one says, um, can someone like the thief on the cross get to heaven with a last minute redemptive belief or act? Uh, Father Brian, you wanna take that one first and then Deacon Mike? Uh, say it again, the question. Can someone like the thief on the cross get to heaven with a last minute redemptive belief or act? So basically last minute redemption. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the fact that uh, the thief experienced redemption. I mean, if I think there's sort of, if it happened to him, if Jesus uh, allowed it to happen with, with him, then why not, why not us, number one? I mean, I think sometimes what we, you know, it's like the deathbed conversions, it's the, uh, the mobster who, you know, these stories of people who at the last minute, you know, their whole life they lived in a, in a, in a terrible way, and then at this last minute, I want to, you know, get a get out of jail free card thing. And I think we, you know, we just sort of look at that and say, come on, they're, they're, they're playing the system. And well, if they are, if they're playing the system, you know, one, you know, one person you can't fool is God, right? So I think if, if, if there's sincerity, a sincere heart seeking forgiveness, then, then it's granted. I mean, the guy on the cross presumably was very sincere and he was very much forgiven. Um, you know, I also, I, 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 I think sometimes some of us have particular 
understandings of, of justice where we just say that's just not fair. Like, and I played by the rules uh, my whole life, and at the last minute, this person is gonna is gonna experience the same reward that I did. Well, um, you know, I think number well, number one, that's probably not our place to be questioning that. Um, interesting, like the church, the church says that the church doesn't say that it's any particular person is in hell. Like not even Judas um, hasn't declared that about anybody who's ever lived. Um, probably people that we would think, man, if, if there's anybody in hell, it's probably this person, that person. But kind of interesting that the church has never said this person is in hell. We've said thousands of times that there are people in heaven, you know, the communion of saints. Um, so there's like, so I think there's, uh, I think we, we probably have to err on the side of mercy uh, when, when, when faced with questions like that. God's mercy. You know, his name uh, in, uh, we, call, we refer to him as Saint Dismas. That's the name that we give to the good thief. And I would agree with Father Brian. I think that the opportunity for redemption and acceptance into heaven is, is always there up until the last moment. I would hope, for my own sake, that the opportunity for, to, uh, to acknowledge my sins and to be saved is always going to be there. So if it's there for me, it could be there for Dismiss or, or just about anybody else. So, uh, but I agree, too. It's... it's one of the things of, of, that Dismas did um, from the cross, right, was n to acknowledge Christ as the Messiah and to also acknowledge his innocence. And so I, I believe that, again, it's, it's turning towards Christ that brings us to salvation. What about fear of God? Um, is fear of God good? Um, why do we, why should we fear God if God is loving? Well, you know, I, like I, I referenced before, like, you know, the old church, the church before the 1960s, um, you know, and it was this fear, fear-based uh, sort of understanding of God, and we usually critique that. You know, I think when that's brought up, uh, I'd say more often than not, that's seen as, like, that wasn't a good thing. I think the church... At, you know, at the Vatican, Second Vatican Council, pretty, I think we can say that the church felt that way because of how we, we shifted our emphasis and changed, uh, yeah, like, uh, our teachings, and, and, or at least what we, what we emphasized and, and, and then de-emphasized. So, but that, all that being said, like, the fear of God thing has, a, I know, fear of God's got its place. Like, I think if talk to people who remember, you know, the, the old church or, you know, read, you know, read about what the culture was like before, you know, in, in those days. And, you know, were we a more obedient society? Were we more, more God-centered? Did we put, was God more of a priority? I mean, I think you can measure it in certain ways. You know, people went to church a lot more then than they do today. Um, 
God seemed to be more of a, a priority in people's lives than was some of that because for fear, uh, fear of punishment? Yeah, I'm sure it was, but there were positives that came of that from that. And, and if it has swung the pendulum so far to the other way, we are, we are fearless. We don't, consider, we don't consider God in the course of our lives much at all. Man, that's a worse place to be than 1950 in the way it was then. So I think like a, a healthy, balanced understanding of God allows for a, a proper sense of fear, fear of, of you know, God's justice. Um, people who have different religions, people who don't believe the same faith that we do, um, how do they get to heaven? And can people of different religions get to heaven? Deacon Mike, could you take that one? It's an easy one. <laughs> so you can start with the, uh, the first discussion on the opportunity for salvation being open to, to everyone, um, accepting Christ as the path to salvation. Um, I do would suggest that, that again, the, the challenge here is uh, those, out, those outside the faith. Um, there is a, an entire litany of writing and literature on um, church teachings and elsewhere on the ability of um, others to, to gain access to salvation, to gain access to heaven. Um, so I don't think, it, unless I'm, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's it, there's, a, there's a whole lot of writing on this and it's a little more complicated, but um, heaven is available and, and there is access. And I think um, we're going to be giving you guys, on the website actually, there's a link to a bunch of uh, some videos and some t- other church teachings. But Jesus says at least four times in, in the gospel, he says, unless, unless you're born again in spirit, you'll, you will not at- attain eternal life. So that's baptism. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you will not have eternal life. That's the Eucharist. If you profess with your lips and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you have faith in Jesus, you will be saved. So Jesus gives multiple ways that we can attain eternal life, through baptism, through the Eucharist, through faith. Um, A lot of people are asking about purgatory as well. Um, Father Brian, could you speak for a moment about purgatory? Uh, You know, when I think of uh, purgatory, or when I talk a little bit about it, and sometimes maybe preach preach about it, um, certainly in November on All Souls Day, um, I think you know the word justice. I I find myself thinking and speaking of justice, like uh, I think the the notion of purgatory is that like it just it's logical. Um, We when. You know, think of a relationship with a person when you have a when you've you've breached a relationship. You know, I've betrayed someone in some way. Um, I mean, isn't there always like a, a process? Doesn't you know? Isn't there always often maybe always like a some sort of period of time where there's just got to be kind of a, a healing? You know, you may, you may say I forgive you, but I'm not sure if I trust you so much right now, and, and I'm still very much hurt by the betrayal. Um, and, and just, 
I'm sorry, but like, kind of like time, I'm not holding this out over you. It's not a power thing. It's sort of like a, a heart thing. Like, I think there's gonna, time is going to be needed to kind of just to heal and to repair this. I mean, is, is, is some of that kind of, a, I think, maybe like a way of, of seeing purgatory? I remember thinking, I remember when Mother Teresa, di- Mother Teresa died within days of when uh, Princess Diana died. I think they died like in the same week. And uh, in fact, uh, Mother Teresa's funeral was really kind of completely eclipsed. Her death really was eclipsed because I guess shortly after it was, it was Diana and that was just a, a massive story. And I remember thinking, okay, so these two, these two very famous women died. It wasn't the same day, but let's just say it was. And they both met God at that point. Um, you know, and this is no knock on Princess Di at all. Maybe, maybe she was a wonderful woman, but she wasn't Mother Teresa. And, you know, wouldn't it be kind of logical that, you know, God's r- reception would, of the two would be probably not exactly the same? And uh, what does that mean? I, I don't, again, I, I don't know what is purgatory, you know, what is purgatory like? You know, uh, I think a couple of popes in the past kind of gave sort of these descriptive images of purgatory, again, like it was a place, which we've, we've since kind of uh, corrected. Other popes have subsequently said, well, you know, like hell, like it's not a place, it's not a, you know, a place somewhere, yeah, it's not a place. So, but the, just the concept, if it's fair, it's, it's justice. I didn't, I need time to kind of, to heal those, those breaches in my life. And one of the videos we'll be posting on the website will be about purgatory. Um, and he kind of says in the video, do you really, when you really look at your life, do you really think that you are ready to be in the presence of God? Like, do you really think you're ready? Um, and purgatory is a place where we get ready to be in the presence of, of the God of the universe. And I think a lot of times um, we kind of, Again, we, we've, we kind of dumbed down what heaven really is. It's, we need to be ready for it. It's not just a place of, of love um, that's kind of been painted so many times. Um, Deacon Mike, we'll do two more questions before we wrap up. Um, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. There's some really good ones here, but we will continue the conversation, um, like I said, through that uh, document on the website, that link, um, as well as on Facebook. So how can I get someone to come back to our faith, as someone who's not currently maybe coming to Mass or uh, active in their faith, how can I get someone to come back to our faith? You know, that's a great, a great conversation, uh, great question. And I think ours, our role in the relationships that we have is not about our bringing them back to the faith, it's, again, having them seek to turn and return to the faith. It's, a, it's, an, it's an awareness. And, and the only way I know to help facilitate an awareness to the love that we have for God and God for us is to love and is to continue to be a guiding and loving and compassionate and merciful presence in the presence of others including those who are not there right now, and to be that consistent present for them. I, I, I believe in, in looking at um, 
part of the question Mike, Mike had shared with me, it, it had mentioned the story of the prodigal son. And I actually recall a, a wonderful homily Father Brian once gave on the, on the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son when he referred to it as the story of the prodigal father. And the idea of this overwhelming and excited father and the father's exuberance to see the son off in the distance. And, and this is God's overwhelming love for all his children. And I think at times, you know, we need to step back and appreciate that, that that's God's love for us just as much as it is love for others. And it's this exuberant love. And it's, it's being a light for others to see how that, what that's done for us and what it can do for them. So um, I, I don't know if it's, it, it's, it's pulling them back or it's, it's about just allowing them to witness through us what it means for us to love and to feel love and to be Christians and to live that in the world, others will, will, will see it and hopefully embrace it as well. You know, we're going to, uh, in a couple of weeks, I think, I think in Lent, during Lent, we're going to, um, over, in a couple of, over a course of a couple of nights, um, talk about uh, church and the fact that some of the some of the just sobering, troubling facts, uh, people people just seemingly getting further and further away from church, COVID, and the impact of uh, you know having not not having to be at mass and concern now that maybe uh, people aren't coming back uh, even they're even though they're really able to um, and and. Anyway, a lot more to follow on that. Uh, I, but the reason I bring it up is um, a little bit, a little bit in, in kind of additional response to the question. Um, conversation, I just think, like I think we as a church need to say, okay, like things are breaking down. We're, they're hemorrhaging in some respects. And it's just uh, like kind of naming that, okay, things are not going well. I mean, this is a great night. This is an alternative, almost the opposite of what I'm saying right now. So there are these, there are the, there are these absolute pockets of hope and, and spirit. Um, but I think in the bigger picture, it's not, it's not, it is kind of bleak. For us, it's just to start to talk about it, you know, talk about it among ourselves here, people of faith, um, and then to say, okay, how do we, how do we start to talk about this to the people who we do want to have come back, but I think you're right. Like, Deacon Mike, I don't think it's like it's, you know, I'm gonna reel you in kind of a thing. It's like even just finding, talking about faith in ways in which we probably not very comfortable and probably never do, you know, and to maybe say we have to, like, because it's, it's broken. And anyway, conversation. Wanna do one more? Sure. All right, so we'll do one last question. Um, what is the difference between getting to heaven? Because you know, with Protestants and uh, other Christians, some say faith is more important than acts, or acts is more important. Acts are more important than faith. Uh, could you speak on uh, faith versus acts? Uh, a quick thing that pops into my head is the story uh, in the Gospel with uh, Martha and Mary. They were uh, they were sisters. They were the sisters of uh, Lazarus. All three of them were were friends of Jesus. Um, Jesus shows up, 
Martha, uh, or Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, kind of just being with him, being in his presence, probably listening to him, maybe asking him questions. Martha is uh, setting the table and making the coffee and, and running around and getting, getting, getting ready to, she's serving him and she's annoyed because her sister's sitting, not doing anything. Martha complains to, uh, rather, yeah, Martha complains to Jesus and says, will you tell her to get up and, and help me? And Jesus says, no, <laughs> no, no, she's, she's actually, she's doing it right. Like she's, she's kind of, she's got it. You know, we often, the church, uh, kind of, we look at that, it's like the difference between like, uh, there's symbols of, or icons of like, the contemplative church and the act, active church. Um, faith, faith and works, and you know, I think you need both. I mean, we, we all know, we know that, like, you know, which one is most important? I mean, I guess if, you know, faith should drive action. I, I live a certain way, I do, I do, I act in a certain way because of this Christian faith, so which forms the way I live my life. Um, so I guess if, and that also, that's, maybe that's what Jesus was saying. You know, he didn't say Martha shouldn't be working. He just said that Mary kind of figured out what matters most, so. But it's gotta be both. You know, if it's somebody, you know, sits in the chapel 24-7 and uh, the world is falling around, falling apart around them and they never see it, okay, that's incomplete. And if the person out there is trying to save the world but never connects it to, you know, to his or her faith, so kind of balance between the two, but I'd say faith taking priority. Um, I'd just like to ask Deacon Mike if you'd like to um, comment on anything before we wrap up. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, so just to echo, uh, even before a little quick final comment, I think to echo what Father Brian was just saying, how much I, I agree with that. Yeah, there was a, uh, a program I used to be a part of many years ago. Uh, it was a, an immigration program in Brooklyn and Queens, and uh, it was built on a, a teaching of the church called Welcoming the Stranger. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, but the cornerstone, the motto for the program was, we're here because we're Catholic not because you're Catholic. And it was a profound lesson for me at the time, I think to what Father Brian is saying, is that it's the faith, but it's our acting out our faith. And, it, and it's our willingness to live the faith in a world that might not share that faith, but that doesn't dissuade us and it will, it will gather them, right? St. Francis and others had spoke about it. And I think, first, I think from a closing comment perspective is, just to thank uh, Father Brian and Mike and everybody here for the opportunity to dialogue about faith. Um, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to do that in a, in a, in a way that is uh, uplifting and, and to talk about topics uh, significant. But um, I think for, for myself is, if I were to have a, a closing comment on the, the topic this evening of the existence of heaven and, and hell and, and the gods not dead, it's, um, be not afraid. The love of God is real. Your willingness to accept the love and to return it to him and to others is what will keep that love alive. And so continue to live your faith and you will change the world.
Amen. Um, just one or two announcements before we wrap up. Um, coming up February 11th, which is a Thursday, will be a Women's Holy Hour um, at St. Mary's at 7.30. So that's Thursday, February 11th. That will be on Facebook and in the bulletin. Um, also, we're, we've talked a lot about heaven and hell tonight, um, and we have a priest right here, Father Brian. So um, he said if anyone, is, anyone would like to uh, go to confession tonight, he's here. And no one, you know, he's not forcing anyone to go to confession, but um, he's going to be um, over on the side. Um, and if you'd like to, yep, to go, you know, he'll be there. Sorry, maybe, yeah, uh, I'll be in the confessional. Um, we really can't go face to face. So if you could stay on the, you know, on the, on the, the other side of the screen. And uh, sins only, just uh, <laughs> just sins, so we can kind of kind of move it along. Especially if there's if there's a line, uh, just kind of get right to it. Um, also, yeah, sure. So if you if you would like to uh, send a further comment to about the night or have further question, um, you can text it to that number that you, uh, you sent the question to. Um, that I have an app on my phone that that question will come to. You can also uh, post a question to uh, Facebook. And if you are not uh, already a part of our texting system where you'd like to receive text messages as updates, you can come see me at the end and I'll get you signed up for that. Um, so if any further questions, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, and get home safe. <laughs>